thank you so very much for your great son, for the amazing sacrifice that was made in our behalf, and for this hour that we have to worship you. Please bless this hour, Lord God, to give us the strength that we need to continue to walk the walk of faith this week, fighting against the forces of evil until we meet again. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray and thank thee for be thy will. Amen. We're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 15 for the most part of uh, this evening's lesson. Uh, reading through the book of Acts, it's amazing to see that the gospel of peace doesn't always bring peace. In fact, it's a, a, a book and a, a word that comes to us that actually caused an uproar in so many places. Uh, the early prophets, the apostles, uh, the early Christians uh, were a part of this. They went through difficult times. The message every day was the same. And the pattern that was established by the church, it just seemed to go like this. It was like the preaching of the gospel brought persecution, but then it established churches. And then along the way, God watered them by edification through the apostles and the saints. And it's no different than the conference at Jerusalem that happened when they returned to Antioch, about A.D. 50, to talk about the greatness of the first missionary journey. And now right in the middle of the first journey and the second journey comes this conflict. And um, it seems to be a part of our everyday walk of faith because Satan always goes to church. You know that's a sermon, right? Satan always goes to church. So here's what was going on. God added the Gentiles to the faith. Acts chapter 11. The Jews and Gentiles, all the way up through Acts 13, are working very well together. Acts 14, still the gospel is going well. Everything's smooth. But then in Acts 15, there came this issue that we'll read about in the book of Galatians in just a moment. But we'll start at verse 1. Here's the issue. And some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So, should the Gentiles accept the religion that came from the Jews through Jesus Christ and convert to Judaism while still remaining a Christian, kind of following the law of Moses, but really following Christ. It's all confusing, right? Should, should they require these men and women who want to come to Christ to be circumcised according to the law of Moses to really call themselves Christians? Well, to us today, we look back at that and we go, well, that's kind of a ridiculous argument, but you know, there are people still struggling with this to this day. So in Acts uh, 15 and verse 2, And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissensions and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. So this issue is found a little, a little bit more in Galatians. I want to go to Galatians chapter 2 and show you that Paul and Barnabas had been dealing with this issue prior to what we're reading about in the council. Uh, Acts chapter 2, or Galatians rather, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Then after an interval of 14 years, 
I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. And it was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And so you see that this is, this is going on all this time that Paul was preaching. In verse 4, But it was because of the false brethren who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For he who effectually worked for Peter and his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. So back to Acts 15. So now these Jewish, you know, you can't be a Jewish Christian. Either Christian or you're not. So just allow my foolishness when I say it in this way. These, the ethnicity is Jew. But the, the people who are trying to bring Judaism into Christianity, it just doesn't fit, right? I mean, you know, you, you just, you can't be both. You can only be one or the other. Well, they're trying to make these Christians who are Gentiles, Jewish Christians of some sort, if you will, oddly as that may sound. All right, so here's the question. After all this rejoicing, which obviously wasn't quite there over souls being saved, the false leaders tried to, to have Titus circumcised and, and many others. And then my question is, okay, so did these people just, just like come up out of nowhere? Where did they come from? Where did these false teachers or these instigators of the faith, where did they come from? Well, don't be surprised. They were already there. Look at Acts 15 and verse 3. The Bible says there, Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. And when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all that God had done with them. This is so exciting, right? Yeah, I mean, for us, right? It's exciting, but not, not for some. Some people to this day still want to argue with God. They want to argue with the Holy Spirit. Remember the first missionary journey? It was commissioned by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit sent, sent Barnabas and, and Saul, separated them apart, to go and preach the gospel, including preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. But there are certain people who even then wanted to argue with the Holy Spirit. Verse 5. But certain ones of the sect of the... Look at that word there. <laughs> Pharisees just didn't go away, did they? The Pharisees who, who surrendered to Jesus in the waters of baptism thought they still had some kind of rule or reign over God's people. So it's the Pharisees who were causing problems within the church. 
So the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Obviously, they had not truly understood the gospel. Galatians, back please, chapter 2 again, beginning at, uh, at verse 8. They came to Jesus, they were babes in Christ, but thought they knew the entirety of the gospel, and they're all mixed up. They're saying you've got to keep both laws. That's an absolute impossibility. You can't keep the law of Moses and the law of Christ. They contradict. They contradict, not in an evil way, they contradict by law. Galatians 2 and verse 8. For he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked to me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who are reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only ask us to remember the poor. The very thing also I was eager to do. And so that was the only stipulation. So here the Pharisees, we're going back to Acts chapter 15, are arguing with the Holy Spirit. And though the Holy Spirit sanctioned the work, the Holy Spirit set apart the work, and it came from God. And yet, they argue with God. Isn't that amazing? Good thing we don't have brethren like that today. Peter, Paul, Barnabas, James brought a spiritual teaching to these, the council and to these men to help them to understand the depth of what God was doing. And it's the mystery, right, of the gospel. The great mystery of Jesus Christ. The great mystery of God. We're going to verse 6. Listen to what Peter had to say. And the apostles and the elders came together to look into the matter. And after there, there had been much debate. Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test? By placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. And that's one of the most amazing things to me, is that people today who are still trying to reach back to grab and hold on to the Old Testament... The people then couldn't bear the yoke that God put on them. Why are we trying to follow that? Why would we go back to something that, that puts you in bondage and that cannot save us? Right? And yet, they were struggling. They struggled in their walk of faith. If you will, verse uh, 11. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also Oh, and so the Gentiles are brought in with the miraculous event, right? Peter was preaching, and Peter commanded them to be baptized because the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles, and they began to speak in tongues. It was a work of God, and yet they argued with the Holy Spirit. In verse 12, Barnabas and Paul, and all the multitude kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul, and as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them, among the Gentiles. And look, we didn't just tell you what happened. You guys witnessed it. You saw it, right? God used 
uh, brought forth miracles in us, through us, amongst the Gentiles. And, and to this point, they are saved. This is not a work of the Jews. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has, has sanctioned this. It came from God. How do you settle disputes? Right? We're talking about church things. Someone comes up to me and says, you know, what, about, what does the Bible say about this? Or why don't you all do this or do that? You know, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible has all the answers, right? And you have to look at the Bible holistically to gain a real deep understanding of what the Bible is saying about certain issues, whatever they may be. So this is what James does. James goes back to the book of Amos and he brings out a scripture that is in, if you want to call it their book, is in the book of the Jews, the Judaism, is in that book that says to them that Gentiles will be brought in by God. And you can't argue with it. Verse 13. And after they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. And with these words, or excuse me, with, with this word, of the prophets agree just as it is written after these things I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen and I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it in order that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who makes these things known from of old so the Lord said it and the Lord says it that's it, right? That settles the matter. I'm so thankful when you read the scriptures that these men were wise. They looked into the scriptures. They wanted to know the truth. And it wasn't just about trying to be right. It was about, as, as leaders in God's word, how do we agree? And we only can agree by what the scriptures say. So they accept the preaching. They accept the teaching that the Gentiles have been grafted in. Verse 19. And therefore it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. But that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So there's a, there's a rule. Scripture used in its proper context will always solve all of our problems if we're willing to listen to God. And that's the key, right? We have to be willing to listen to God. We have to want to know what thus saith the Lord, not what do I think or what did my parents do or what did my grandparents do or my great-grandparents. That doesn't matter. What does the Lord say? Verse 28 for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, this is the letter that was written, and it was to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well, fare well. Ephesians chapter 2, please. So here's what was happening in essence. In essence... The Pharisees who were unable to stop Jesus or the early church 
and the, and the plan that Jesus had, that God had for us, that he would break down that, that dividing wall and, and make the Jew and Gentile, and we might just say it in this way, and make all people one in Christ Jesus. That's what God did. And then even in our, uh, you know, in generations past, there was this, there's always been this division among people. And when you come to Christ, when we come to Christ, that division no longer can exist. Doesn't matter where we come from or who we are, that division is no longer valid. It is no longer something that can exist because the wall of Jesus was broken down. And that's how we show the world our love for each other. That we do things in Christ that the world does not quite understand. That we are one regardless of where we come from and regardless of who we are. Ephesians 2 and verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by the human hands. That's always an interesting concept, right? The circumcised and the uncircumcised. You know, I, who wants that job? <laughs> you know, who, who are the circumcised and who are the uncircumcised? How about, let's just be circumcised of heart. And that's what God's plan was, right? To teach them that we're to be circumcised in heart, in that heart. And in verse 12, remember that you, the Gentiles, were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you are formerly afar off, having brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. What, a, what an amazing gospel that we believe. What an amazing message that God can make all people who once were divided, can make all people one. Only God can do that, right? And if we listen to God, we always win forever and evermore. And in verse 16 it says, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. Always that enmity. You know, there's no more division between, we know the races, no more division between races, no more division between economic status, no more division between who drives this and who drives that, who works here, who works there. There's just no division in Christ. Except... When church members decide, we're going to fight the Holy Spirit. We're going to fight against God. And we're going to have it our way. That doesn't work, church. We know that, right? It has to be what thus saith the Lord. And isn't it interesting that of all the people who became a minister to the Gentiles, it was the Hebrew of Hebrews who later calls himself the chief of sinners. He is the one whom God chose to bridge the gap between the Jew and the Gentile to fulfill the message and the work of God of Jesus on the cross. And listen to what God says about the power of the church. I want us to think about tonight the power of the church. The power of what God has done. The thought that we could go together down the street 
of, of any street, in any place in the world, holding hands as brothers and saying, that's my brother in Christ. That's my brother in Christ. I remember one time I was in a hospital in a visit in Sodatna, and uh, <laughs> our dear brother John was in the hospital, and the nurse came in. The nurse said, you can, sir, uh, at this point, you, you can only have family in, in visiting you. And John said, well, that, I do have family visiting. And the nurse looked at me and looked at John. John's white. And, uh, and she looked at me again and looked at John and said, yeah, you, you, you're supposed to only have family. And John looked at her and said, that's my brother. And she goes, well, I mean, maybe he, she, and then John says, stop. That's my brother. This is my family. You can leave. And she left. I said, way to go, John. But that's the way it's supposed to be. What an amazing impact we can have on the world. Because they don't understand. Right? But we're supposed to understand. Right? In verse 16, again, just for emphasis, Jesus. He might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. Then comes the reconciliation down in verse 18. For through him we both have our access in the one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and we are God's household. Having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And by the way, on her way out, John said, you see, what you don't understand, ma'am, is we have the same father, but different mothers. True Christianity. True Christianity is, is what the, it's the answer to change the hearts of humanity. When someone asks me, how are we going to fix this? The church, we're supposed to be that shining light in the midst of a world full of darkness and chaos. We're the ones who are going to help the world to see. Whether they respond or not, it doesn't matter. But we're the ones to help the world to see what true love is really all about. That we are God's family. We are one big family. And together, we are strong. Together, we are powerful. And based on a prophetic message, together, we are the only lasting kingdom and the only one that will never be destroyed, the church. All the answers that we're looking for is in the Word of God. In closing, God made the Jew and the Gentile one body. Jesus is the head, and we are the workers. Tonight, if we can help you in any way, if there's something we can do for you, if we can pray with you, if tonight someone would like to be surrendered to Christ in the waters of baptism, if there's anything we can do, please make it known while together we stand and sing our song of invitation. Why don't you come?
Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou didst me come to thee. 